Well, this is a, uh, on the face of it, a very simple story. Jesus goes down to the lake. Um, if you read through Mark's Gospel, you'll see that uh, geography is quite important. And Jesus often has a lot of success down by the lake. Good things happen to Jesus by the lake. He called his first disciples by the lake in chapter 1. Uh, he's going to do great things beside the lake later on. Um, opposition tends to be centred in the towns. But by the lake is a place where we should expect good things to happen. And lo and behold, a crowd gathers. They want to hear Jesus teach. He does teach them. But actually, the teaching is not even mentioned, really. Just he began to teach them. As he walked along, he sees a guy called Levi, the son of Alphaeus. He's sitting at a tax collector's booth. Uh, The only possible reason to be sitting at a tax collector's booth would be that you were a tax collector. So, here is this guy, Levi. He's a tax collector. Jesus calls him. Levi follows. It's a pattern throughout the Gospel of Mark. Jesus calls, people follow. So far, so good. However, Levi also apparently invites Jesus home. This is going to be problematic. Because all Levi's mates, all the people he invites to have dinner with Jesus, are also tax collectors and other 'er ne'er-do-wells. The Pharisees, we'll talk more about them later, kick up a stink and ask Jesus' disciples, why is he eating with these disreputable people? And Jesus' response sums up a whole chunk of Mark's Gospel and, indeed, the Bible. He hasn't come for those who are righteous, but for sinners. If you're anything like me, I've um, been in church since I was born, pretty much. And it's very easy for me to approach this story already knowing what it is all about. So, I already know that the Pharisees are the baddies of the peace. I already know that were somebody to make a pantomime of Mark's Gospel, which, God forbid, every time the Pharisees came on stage, we would boo and hiss. Ooh, Pharisees, they're behind you, they're not. The Pharisees are the baddies. And I already know that these tax collectors and sinners, they're the guys Jesus loves, obviously. Unfortunately, my long acquaintance with this story has completely ruined it for me. And in case that's the case for you as well, I just want to go over a few things. Firstly, who are these tax collectors and sinners? It's easy um, for me to think that they're basically the poor, downtrodden ones in the story. They're the ones who are being kicked around and Jesus takes pity on them. Actually, that's not correct. The tax collectors are very much the people doing the kicking and the downtreading. The way the Roman Empire worked taxation in the absence of an efficient bureaucracy... You're going to love this, it's great. I'll tell you about bureaucracy in the Roman Empire. 
The way they worked it was via a system called tax farming. So somebody would buy a contract from the central Roman government and he would be responsible to the governor of the province for raising a certain amount of money. And he would employ other people whose job it was to actually go around and get the money out of the poor inhabitants of the province. So Levi, son of Alphaeus, is probably one of those people. He's probably a Jew who has been employed by a Roman tax farmer to do the occupier's bidding and collect money. Now, uh, these people were not, as a rule, paid a salary. So the only way for them to make money was to collect a bit more than they were commissioned to collect. And of course, when you have several layers of people doing that, the tax burden adds up pretty quickly. Don't worry, this evening's not going to be all about taxes, but it is important. So, the tax collectors are not, in any way, the good guys. They are the agents of an oppressive foreign regime and they are traitors to their people. Well, what about the Pharisees? They're the baddies though, right? They're still the baddies. We can still boo them. Jesus has a lot of conflict with the Pharisees in the Gospel stories. But actually, when we get into looking at what the Pharisees believed, that is partly because they were the closest to what Jesus himself was saying. They were the guys who were serious about following God, serious about holiness, serious about looking for God's kingdom to come. They were really waiting for God to come and liberate them. Okay, they may have tended towards self-righteousness at times. Perhaps they did tend to look down on others unduly. But fundamentally, they're the good guys. See, they have their reasons not to want to associate with tax collectors. They have their reasons to be shocked that Jesus, as somebody claiming some sort of religious authority, would associate with tax collectors. I think the sin or the, the unpleasantness of the tax collectors exists for these Pharisees on three different levels. Look, on the one hand, they are just dishonest people. They make a living out of being dishonest. They make a living out of taking money away from other people who can barely afford it. They are ethically pretty dodgy. If I made a living out of taking your money away, you wouldn't be very keen on me either. And particularly if I did it by cheating you. If, you know, you left this evening and I shook your hand on the way out and, and then as you walked down the road you realised you had slightly less change than you had when you came into the building, you wouldn't think very well of me. Which is, you know, would be justifiable. Um, I'm not going to steal your money. So there's that level. They're not good people. The things they do are bad. They live bad lives. 
Uh, there's another reason which is more related to religion. Tax collectors were almost always unclean. That is to say, they couldn't go up to the temple. They were outside of the community of God. Why were they unclean? Because they spent a lot of time, by necessity, hanging out with people who weren't Jews. Because, you know, they were their bosses. And you can't avoid your boss very easily. So they were unclean. And when you look in the Old Testament at the way that the concept of uncleanness worked, and we don't have time to, to go into it now, but, you know, read Leviticus, it was contagious uncleanness. You don't want to hang out with a tax collector because he is unclean and if you are in his company you could become unclean as well. You could become unacceptable to God because of the company you are keeping. Now, this isn't made up rubbish that the Pharisees are talking about here. You can find this stuff in God's word. If you were living under the Old Testament, this was the way it was. So they're bad people. They're unclean people. But I think there's a third and a deeper thing that gets to the heart of why we should not see the tax collectors as the good guys. And that is this. They have given up on God. They've given up on God, and they've done it for money. Let me explain. The nation of Israel, at the time when Jesus was on the earth, was an oppressed and occupied people. The Romans were in charge, as they were for large parts of the world, and Israel was oppressed. Now, that was a problem in different parts of the world other than Israel. Various people wanted to be free from the Romans, but in Israel, it was particularly acute because they knew that they were God's people, God's chosen people. How could God's chosen people be occupied by the Romans? And so, for centuries, with the occasional burst of freedom that never quite worked out to be as good as you thought it would be, the Jewish people had been waiting for God to act. When will God come and liberate his people? That is what they have been waiting for. That is what faithful Jews in the first century were still waiting for. It's what the Pharisees were waiting for. When will God come and act to deliver Israel? That was what faith looked like for a first century Jew, waiting for God. Now what have the tax collectors done? They've taken a job with the occupying power. They've turned on their own people and started working for the Romans. Can you see that that is not just offensive and collaborationist, but it is, it is abandoning God. It is abandoning the covenant that God has made with Israel to say, do you know what? It is not worth waiting for God. He's taken too long. I'm packing it in. I won't wait for him. I'll live 
from the money that I can get in Roman employ. It's not really surprising that the Pharisees didn't want to hang out with these guys. It's not really surprising that they were surprised that Jesus wanted to hang out with these guys. Once we've got that right, Jesus' statement at the end of our passage makes a lot of sense. Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In other words, Jesus is saying, If you don't see anything wrong with yourself then I'm not for you. I'm here for the people who have messed it up. I'm here for the people who are critically, spiritually sick. I'm here for those who have walked out on the covenant. I'm here for those who are unclean. I'm here for those who have sinned and whose lives are made up bad and immoral actions. The reason that we don't hear that, I think, with the power that we should do, is that we're very used to that idea. But the Pharisees' hope was different. The Pharisees' hope was that God would act and come and save the righteous in Israel. He would come and reward those who have been faithful to the covenant. Is that so unreasonable when you think about it? Isn't that what you would expect God to do? Come and vindicate those who are in the right, give the Romans a kicking, give the tax collectors a kicking, Maybe the tax collectors, if they were Jewish tax collectors with some semblance of allegiance to God, maybe they might just about get by, but they'd certainly be on the bottom rung in God's new kingdom when he established it. I think that just makes sense, doesn't it? So what Jesus is saying here is, I am turning everything upside down. Because Mark has already given us plenty of clues that when Jesus comes, that is the intervention of God that the Pharisees have been hoping for. This is it. It is happening now. Go back to the very beginning of the, of the book. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. That's God's anointed deliverer, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness and Mark tells us he was fulfilling the prophecies about what would happen just as God was beginning to intervene. He was the forerunner, the one who went ahead. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, 
This is God's deliverance in person. But he doesn't do what they thought he would do. He hangs out with traitors, apostates, sinners. When the righteous turn up, all he does is argue with them. Not the deliverance we were expecting. I think as we go through Mark's Gospel, what we'll see is that although the Pharisees think they are waiting for God, think they are waiting for God's deliverance, think they are righteous, they don't really like God when he turns up. Because what they're actually waiting for is just for something to happen that will show how jolly right they were all along. That's what matters. They want God's deliverance, but only insofar as it validates them. Only insofar as God comes to recognise their righteousness and make it clear how good they have actually been all along. These tax collectors and sinners hadn't been waiting for God. But when he turns up, he goes to them. Because he hasn't come to fulfill the expectations of those who think they're jolly good. He has come to completely contradict the expectations of those who are jolly bad. He's come for sinners. He's come as a doctor. If a, um, a doctor calls round your house, doctors don't really do that anymore, do they? But imagine it was the 1950s and a doctor called at your house and said, I've come to help you. <laughs> this scenario sounds a bit like those um, calls you get from people saying, I'm calling about your accident that you had. <laughs> what accident? Oh, you had an accident? No, I didn't. Uh, if a doctor calls you a house and, and, and says, I've come to help you, and you're not unwell, you say, thanks, I'm, I'm fine. See ya. It's only if a doctor calls to your house when you're sick that you're grateful to see him and that you welcome him in. Jesus has come for those who need a doctor Now I want you to zoom right out with me. Zoom out from Mark's Gospel. Out. Back. Back. Got the whole Bible in your view. All of it. Genesis. Revelation. In the light of everything that the Bible tells us, who is sick? Who needs a doctor? Let's just run over those three things that I said were bad about the tax collectors again. Uh, they did bad things. They did stuff that they knew was wrong. Hands up 
if you have never done anything that you knew to be wrong. It's interesting. If you read the story of the Old Testament, a huge part of what it is about is that second thing, uncleanness, being unable to come into the presence of God. Do you know what? How many of you would feel confident, confident, the holy God was here? Say he was in the back room. Who wants to go through? Are you clean enough? Are you good enough? I'm going to say no. Or what about that third thing? They'd walked out on God and settled for money, settled for present satisfaction instead of the eternal and amazing source of all goodness. Ever done that? Ever thought, do you know what, I'm going to take quick pleasure now rather than be loyal to God? I reckon those three things are the very essence of what is wrong with humanity and wrong with each and every one of us, according to the Bible story. We do bad things, we're not worthy to come into God's presence, and we've abandoned our Creator in favour of petty, stupid pleasures that last for a few minutes and then make us feel bad afterwards. That is what we have done, that is who we are. We're tax collectors and sinners. Zoom back in to Mark chapter 2. What about the Pharisees? Never done anything wrong? Totally cool with being in the presence of a holy God. No shame, nothing to hide. Always been faithful to God? Don't think so. This is what we need to understand. Jesus hasn't come to call the righteous but sinners. Now, I want you to understand that that is not Jesus dividing people into two categories and saying, there are some righteous people, not interested in them, and there are sinners. I've come for those guys. That is not what Jesus is doing here. If it sounds like that, that's just because we don't get the whole biblical background there is none righteous. No, not one. It's in the Bible. So when Jesus says, I haven't come for the righteous, I've come for sinners, that could have two effects. It could make you say, Thank God, I'm a sinner. I need that. Or it could make you say, cheers, but uh, I'm pretty much okay, actually. You have put yourself into one of those two categories, righteous or sinner. You have done that. Just as the Pharisees had done that back in the first century, we're righteous, we're okay. 
And so you don't think you need Jesus if you think you're righteous. So you're going to walk away. You're going to think, he didn't come for me. Don't need him anyway. It's all good. So you read through the Gospels, I think what we see is that that is the way the majority of the Pharisees treat Jesus. They're okay. Don't need it. But if we take the Bible's message remotely seriously, then we will say, we all, all fall into the category of being sinners. All of us have walked down on God. All of us have done things that fill us with guilt and shame. All of us have done things we know to be wrong. I feel like I've spent half an hour telling you that you're sinful. I'm okay with that. That was my plan. What did Jesus do? There are two things that he does for sinners in this story. One is, he goes to Levi, son of Alphaeus, and says, follow me. Follow me. And he got up and followed him. Tax booth left behind. Former life left behind. That identity as a sinner left behind. He calls you to follow him. I think we need to hear that every day. Every day. Jesus says, follow me. And we say, I'm not good enough. I can't do it. I'm sinful. He says, I know that. That's who I came to call. You, you wretched, filthy sinner. I came to call you. Follow me. Can't do it, Jesus. Too hard. I don't have the willpower. I don't have... Follow me. When Jesus says, follow me, it's not up for debate. You can't be too bad for it. You also can't be too good for it. But the other striking thing that Jesus does with tax collectors and sinners, with people who have walked down on God, people who have done bad stuff, people who have wasted their lives, the other thing that he does in this passage is he has dinner. He has dinner. I was... Um, talking to a, a Muslim guy once and he said to me do you really believe that God ate dinner? Yeah. Yeah. And not only did he eat dinner he ate dinner in the worst company. He ate dinner with wretches and traitors and sinners and filth. And he didn't say I don't want anything to do with you. Don't you know I'm the holy God? Don't you know that I'm too pure to look on evil? Didn't say any of that. He ate dinner with them. In a minute, we're going to take communion together. The Lord's Supper. His table, his food. When we do that, I'd love you to be thinking of me as just the waiter 
He's the host. We're having dinner with him, eating. He delights to come to those who are rubbish and sick with sin and pick them up and bring them into his company. I um, like having people round for dinner. But I'll be honest, I limit my guest list. Some of you have eaten in my house. Consider your deep privilege. (laughs) The only qualification, the only qualification for eating with Jesus is to understand that you don't deserve it. What excites me about dinner, apart from, you know, eating, is that dinner is the ultimate destiny of the entire human race who believe in Christ. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Isaiah says that he will prepare a banquet on Zion. We will eat. And who will be there at the end of the day? Guys who tried jolly hard to be good and knew that they were jolly good? Sinners. So we need to take a moment, I think. We need to have a think. Are you a sinner? One of my favourite dead theologians, and I I have many, um, living ones, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer said, in the creed, we say that the church is a communion of saints. And that's true. But we haven't yet learned to be a communion of sinners. Here, in this place, we can be sinners together. We can be those who don't deserve to come We can be those who, on the inside, know, know that we can't possibly stand before a holy God. And yet we stand there anyway, because Jesus brings us near. Because that is the sort of God he is. Not for the righteous, but for sinners.